You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Father, you are close to the brokenhearted. You know, you are mindful that we are but dust. And so we pray for those right now who uh, the rain will not stop, it seems, and the waters are going higher. And ultimately, Lord, we know houses can be replaced, we know cars can be replaced, but we know that lives cannot. So we just ask for you to protect people, that, that EMS and, and all the, the rescue services will be able to get to people if they're, if they're stranded, that they would have access. We pray for just safety for people, and then for their needs to be met after this this hurricane moves through and the rain stops. Especially, Lord, that the church would rise up and would be there. Uh, so many good churches in Texas, and I know they will be on top of it. But we just re- we're just, just reminded that the creation is broken, Lord, because we and our father Adam uh, sinned. And so we long for the day where it will be redeemed for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We pray for our brother Jay, Charlotte, our sister. Such a sweet couple, such servants. Love this church, love the people. Uh, they are just mourning, and we just mourn with them. Um, we just ask that you would comfort them. Just give them their daily bread. Just enough to, to, to just one day if necessary, but we just pray for them, and just pray that the body would hold them up. And uh, we love them like you love them. And we thank you for the hope of the resurrection through Jesus our Savior. I pray for a time in your word. I pray that you would use it. I pray that you would sharpen us through it. Uh, I pray you'd help me speak clearly. Uh, just use a broken vessel like me again to, to build your church, Lord Jesus. That's what we pray. We pray it for your glory, for your reputation, for your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. We are in Luke 13, Luke chapter 13. So go ahead and open them up next week, chapter 14. Woo, moving along. Right. Well, the big event came and went this week. Right. Um, one of the greatest, coolest astrological phenomenon that we were supposed to see um, promised. And I, I, I'm not going to lie; we were excited. I took a half day off. We had the glasses. We were trying them out, making sure they were good. I mean, we. We were look. I looked on Facebook. I saw, man, look how pretty that thing is in Oregon. It's going to be awesome out here. Um, we knew what time. At, you know, 1.15, you're going to start to see the moon. I'm telling the kids. And at 2.45, it's going to be dark, right? And, and then at 4.10, it's going to be over. And, and so we were excited. And, of course, we missed it, right? Just because of the rare. I mean, it's never cloudy at 2 in the afternoon in Savannah. Never, Right? And it, of course, it's like, it's, it's clear as crystal in Bluffton, Charleston, but there's this cloud that just sits over Savannah. I'm watching the map. I'm like, it's not moving. It is not moving. It's raining. I'm, I'm, I went on an eclipse run. It's raining on the eclipse run. It's 2.15. It's not even that dark. I'm like, well, I, and we missed it. And we were bummed. I ain't gonna lie. I felt empty afterwards. <laughs> I thought, I felt all this hype. All the, I mean, we were... You know, we got kids upset. I'm like, we have to wait till 2045. I'm not even going to be here. <laughs> See this thing again. Why? Because a bunch of clouds 
covered what is really one of the a great phenomena, y'all, y'all. And if you think that it's by accident, the moon is just far enough that it perfectly blocks out the sun. You think if that's just some big bang and a bunch of stuff floated together and all of a sudden the moon. No, that is an act of God. He wants you just to show how awesome he is. And once in a while, make it go dark in the middle of the day and say, see, see I'm God. Just remember, I created this thing, right? Okay, so this is a, it is a miracle in the sky. I'm going to move this. Sorry, it's bothering me. You can see it in my eyes. All right. It's a miracle and we missed it. Unless you got out of Dodge, right? And we knew it was coming. We knew for years. We missed it. Uh, Jesus has been predicting something great. He's been, he's been talking about it. He's been talking about it. He's been talking about it. He's been predicting it. The prophets predicted it. He's been telling people to get ready. He's been telling Israel, what? The kingdom of God is here. And even though they knew it, and I had all the prophecies, and even though they saw it, they had the glasses... Right? They got the boxes, shoe boxes. They got their, their Krispy Kreme Eclipse donuts. They, were, they, they thought they were ready and they missed it. Why? Because there's these spiritual clouds over their eyes. They got all the garb, they got all the info, they know when it's coming 115, 245, 4, but they miss it. Right? And the same spiritual clouds that kept them from seeing the kingdom, from seeing this great thing that has been promised and prophesied, it's the same clouds that keep people today from missing what Jesus has offered, right? The same spiritual cloud that some of you in this room kind of have over, you got the glasses and you got the box and you got the Krispy Kreme, but you're missing it. And so the, the heart of this text in chapter 13 is that Jesus does not want you to miss this great event called the kingdom of God that's been predicted, that you know about, that you've heard about, he doesn't want you to miss it because you have spiritual clouds. And so we're going to talk about these spiritual clouds today and we're going to see if we can move them out so that we can see this great thing that God has promised. And there's two clouds we're going to see in the text, right? And so we're going to move fast. You're supposed to be reading ahead, so hopefully you are. And you're probably, like before said, what do these stories and paragraphs have to do with each other? They seem random. They are not. God, by the Holy Spirit, moves through Luke, and it's one big idea. But here's where, here's big point, is we call this, thor- this uh, series Fall and Rising, and this is one of the chapters that just highlights the fall and rising, where those you think are on the rise, those you think should be able to see, are actually blind. They're falling. And those you think are falling are actually the ones you were able to see, and they're on the rise. And that's just the way the kingdom is. The last shall be first. You want to you you get, then you better give. And so you're going to see as Jesus is still headed down to Jerusalem to accomplish that which he came for, to to offer himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The opposition is getting fierce now. They're ramping it up. He's getting closer and closer. And thousands of people are following and they want to get a glimpse and they want to get healed and they want to see, right? And, but yet there's some of them see and they're just blind. So let's jump in and see these clouds and kind of... See if we can move them away. We're going to be moving kind of fast. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. There were, at, there, were present at, ugh, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
So he's, he's kind of in this big group, he's teaching, and these guys come and report something to him that Pilate had done in Jerusalem, where these men were offering sacrifices, potentially a previous Passover, and Pilate sends a bunch of Roman soldiers in and slaughters them in the middle of it so that their blood and the blood of these lambs mixes together. We don't know anything about this event outside of, of, of this, but they're reporting. And Jesus says, do you think that those guys were killed because they were bad dudes? I mean, they were just like really bad. And so God was just like, yeah, wipe them out in the temple. Do you think that? Or then he goes to the next one. He gives another story. He says, or about the 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. There's some construction accident by this tower, right? They're all on lunch duty, eating PB&J and thing crushes 18 people. Do you think that they were worse, different word here, offenders, literally debtors? Do you think they were just really bad guys? And so God was like, yeah, I got all 18 in one spot. And he just kind of tipped that puppy over and squash. Y'all think that? He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Right? It, it's, he, he, he's, he's saying basically what, what you think about, like, do you think that all 19 of those people who got, somebody ran into a crowd in Barcelona a few weeks ago and, and trying to kill people. Do you think those people were, were more wicked than the rest of the people in Barcelona? Or how about Katrina? When, when this hurricane comes and, and wipes out 1,500 people. And you know, all these people, oh, God was judging New Orleans. Well, God missed by like five miles then because it went right to the right of New Orleans and smoked Mississippi. But that's, oh yeah, God's judgment. Do you think that the people in Mississippi were worse than the people in the Florida Panhandle who are worse than the people in Houston or people in Savannah? And what is his answer? No. And it's, it's emphatic in the Greek text. It's like, no. Everyone's, this, this, they're all just like you. They're normal folks. The folks in Houston are just like the folks in Savannah who are just like the folks in Anchorage. Right? All of you, he says it twice, all of you are the same. All of you need to repent. And he's, he's attacking and really addressing this, this false belief that was in their minds and that some of us have it too. And here it is. Ready? Real simple. You hear it all the time that if you're bad, God's going to treat you bad. And if you're good, God's going to treat you good. See, that's what they believed. It's Christian karma. It's, it's a yin and a yang with a little Jesus in the center, with a cross, all right? If I'm good, Jesus blesses me. If I'm bad, Jesus doesn't. And you better be good or else there's going to be a tower, one of those lights. Don't sit near that person because that light's shaky right now and, you know, it's going to fall in that section because I know what they did. Right? And we were saying, oh, no, we're not that drastic. We're a little bit more subtle than that, right? We wouldn't go that far. But what we would do is like, I had a pretty good week, six out of seven quiet times, not bad. Didn't, didn't lose my temper. Too bad at work. No, I, I jogged three times. I had a fa- couple family dinners, took my wife on a date. Yeah, didn't really struggle with that. I had a pretty good week. When I come to church, I'm ready to worship. I'm in a good place. Right? Are you? Versus the person, or and the flip side is, the person is like, man, I had a bad week. Man, I'm struggling. I don't know if I even spelled the world Bible, let alone re- read it. I don't know if I prayed besides meals, and even then I was faking. And I'm not worthy to come to church. I, I can't even touch that Bible. He says, pick up your Bible. I'm, it's going to burn me. They're talking about praising God. I don't, I don't have that in me right now. God must be, man, God must be disappointed and mad at me. Right? 
And let me tell you, both sides are a spiritual cloud that will blind you from the gospel, from the beauty of the gospel. You will not see the beautiful thing that has been promised. Because what a depressing way to live. Isn't that a depressing way to live? If you think it's a depressing way to live, it's a depressing, dismal view of God. It doesn't result in freedom or celebrating or joy or peace or abundant life. You know what it results in? It's shame. Because, man, we've miscarried four times. Maybe God just, maybe God's judging me for, for what I did back in high school. Right? Or there's cancer. Man, I'm a, I must be a bad person. We got cancer. I didn't get into the college I wanted to. I thought, man, I've been doing you know, Young Life and FCA, and I didn't get into that college. God just must be mad at me. What a miserable way to walk through life. Or bitterness. I did my part. I, I, I've remained pure. I did Young Life in college. I go to church. And I'm now I'm, I'm 31, I'm still single. What in the world? I mean, I did everything the way I was told, youth group, everything. And now I'm still single. And it just leads to bitterness, right? Anger, because God, Christian karma should have, should have paid me back. Or fear and doubt. I walk through like, man, I messed up. I better be careful driving home. I'm gonna get T-boned because I was, had a bad day at work and God's gonna make me get judged. It's a fear. God must not care. God really is, is, dis, is distant because if he, was, if he was present, then we would be pregnant by now. I would have got the promotion by now. I would pay off my debt by now. You fill in the blank. Christian karma. And the worst probably is that it causes people to be arrogant and judgmental. Because you're going to probably think you're better than somebody because look at them. They must be bad because... Their daughter is still not married, and we have seven grandchildren, and they don't have any grandchildren. And oh, and look at our kids went all to college, and their kids, oh, and they got a rebellious kid, and oh, yeah, look at them. And we must have been, we did it right. We grew kids God's way. Just poured a little water on them, right? They didn't. And, and we just look down and become critical and arrogant and judgmental. And instead of moving towards people, when they are needy and broken, we move away because they're the bad people. And I don't want the lamp to fall on my head. It's a cloud that keeps people from the beauty of what Christ has promised, of his gospel. And so the first cloud that we want to get out of our way this morning is the clouds of bad theology. Right? Christian karma, do good, be good. They keep you from missing what Jesus came to do. What is Jesus, how does Jesus clear away? He preaches truth. What does he say? It's not they were worse, they were worse. He says, you all are bad. So you're all equal. What does Paul say? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unless you all repent likewise, this will happen to you. You will perish. And he's not saying if you don't repent, the tower is going to fall on you. The point is, we are all headed in the same direction. The wages of sin is what? Death. So we're all headed there. Whether it's when we're 95 on the bed at home with everyone surrounding us, or it's the bluebell truck running over the jogger from last week. The point is it sneaks up on us, and it comes faster than we think. And, and again, I'm in midlife now, and it's, this is so evident to me, right? I mean, just, it seems like just yesterday, my youngest, me, we're, we're reading Goodnight Moon, I mean, my oldest, excuse me, we're reading Goodnight Moon as he goes to bed. Now my oldest is driving himself to work. And I'm like, when did that happen? 
I mean, it's when, you know, I, I see a movie, I watched the, the movie with my, my youngest two last week that I watched when I was 10 years old. I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm like, wait, this movie is 30 years old. <laughs> that means I'm 43, right? The point is, he says, we're all headed in that way. And there is only one way to be ready. And it's not Christian karma. Be good. Do good. Be moral. Make God love you more. That is actually a cloud that will keep you from seeing the gospel. You are not saved by good works. What does Paul remind us? And we know the verse, many of us. It's by grace that you have been saved. It is through faith. And and, and as if that's not enough, he says, it's not of you. You didn't do it. It is a gift. It is not a result of good works. It's not a result of you being good. It's not a result of you trying hard. It's not a result of you keeping the law. Why? So that no one can boast. So that no one can get it to heaven and say, I made it. Skin of my teeth, but I made it. I just, it was that last tithe check that made, put me over the edge. <laughs> so no one can get there that way. It is turn from sin and believe in Christ. That is it. Faith in Christ alone. You say, well, where does good works come in? That's, that's a great question because the next verse Jesus said, I mean, Paul says is, we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, not to earn his favor, but because of his favor. The result of faith is that I live my life for him. And he does it, he even does that part though. Isn't that funny? He not only saves us, he prepares good works so that we may walk in them. So he gives us the faith, he opens our eyes, and then he kind of prepares the good works. He does it all. And then we walk in them, right? And, and, and Jesus is going to highlight this, this idea of, of walking and, and bearing fruit in this parable. He tells the, to these people to highlight this truth. Look at verse 6. He told the parable, this parable. Man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let alone this year also, until I dig around it and put some manure on it, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down, right? He's speaking their language, agrarian culture, yes, but also they know that the Old Testament constantly calls Israel God's vineyard. It's this image you see in Isaiah, you see it in Hosea, you see it in, in Micah, that they are God's vineyard. And he is saying, you are a vineyard of figs and you are a figless Fig Newton. Remember Fig Newtons? You either, I, what do you discover about Fig Newtons? You either love them or you hate them. There's no, there's no in between, right? You're either a Fig Newton guy or you're not. He says, you are figless Fig Newtons. And, and it's not by accident he says that, that for three years now I've come seeking fruit. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been preaching for three plus years. He's talking to Israel. He says, you're my vineyard. I've been coming for three years now, talking, preaching, healing, all these things, and you still are not bearing fruit. There's still this cloud. And remember, they think they're good because we think, oh, we're Israel. We're God's chosen people. We're the people of God. We got the law. We even, we love the law so much. We added laws to the laws. We got 300 plus laws added top of what, we are just good. And, And Jesus says, no, you are figless fig newtons. Right? You got the glasses on, you got the box, you got the Krispy Kreme donuts, and you cannot see. You cannot see what's going on. No fruit. And if, you, if you're new to church, and, and many of you are, I'm so glad you are, you hear this, like, when I say fruit, you're like, what's this fruit thing? They give it away like oranges in the back? What's going on? 
And so I understand that Christians, we talk weird sometimes. I get it, right? So look, just so you understand, fruit in the Bible typically is it's a metaphor. It's a symbol for, for an identifying marker of a follower of Jesus. Just like when I see an orange, I realize, oh, that's an orange tree, right? So, so the fruit of a Christian is an identifying marker that he is a Christian. It doesn't make him a Christian. It just proves that's, you know, so I go to Home Depot and I say, I want to get a fig tree. Right? So I look and I say, oh, there, there, that looks like a fig leaf. And I look in the little tag. It's got the little Latin name, Figus Newtonus. Okay, there's a fig tree. Right? I can take it home. But in the end, I don't know if it's a fig tree until what? I see that first fig. That, that proves it. Right? That's the final. Like, yep, it's a fig tree. Right? And, and that's, that's fruit. It's the only way to confirm. And he's saying, you guys are fruitless, so we, we don't know who you are. You're like decaf coffee. All right? It's, what is decaf coffee? It's useless. Now, it looks like coffee. It comes in a brown bag. We got it in the back, and it says, you know, it has some fancy name, Brazilian roast. And at the bottom, it's like it's hidden, decaf. It means it doesn't count. I don't know why we even waste your time or our money on it, to be honest with you. Because what is, it has no effect. It is literally brown water. It's fruitless. <laughs> he says, some Christians are like decaf coffee. Some people in church are like decaf coffee. Israel, you're like decaf coffee. You look like it. You come in a bag and you smell like it, but you have no effect. So you're not really real. That's the point. And, and this is my fear for us, y'all, is that some of us have been around here and around the church, and we live in the South, and we are good decaf coffee. You get the little tag, figus newtness, but there's no figs. And this is, this is the great thing about this parable. So I love this parable, because there is hope for figless fig newtons. Because you got the one guy that says... I've been coming for three years, done. All right, clipboard, he's like, check, cut it down. But you have the vine dresser who says, and this is the heart of God in the passage, y'all. Don't miss this, this is so good. He says, no, let's give it more time. In the business world, this is, this is dumb. If a department is not doing what they're supposed to do, what do you do? You get rid of it. You don't pour more resources into it. Well, this is not working. Let's put more money into it. That's what the government does, right? Not in the business world, right? But let's just throw money. But what Jesus says in the kingdom, this is not working. There's no fruit. Let me give it more affection. Let me give it more time. Let me give it more love and attention. Let me dig around it and spend some time. That's the heart of God. Now, is there going to be a time when it gets cut down if it doesn't? Yes, there is. But you know what, for us, it's not today. You know why? Because you are still here. You are in the room. And you know what I am? I'm the manure. And I've been called worse. All right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig around and I'm going to throw some on and, and pray for fruit. But that, that's, that's, that's the heart of God for you this morning. If you're the figless Fig Newton, that's the vine, heart of the vine dresser. So be encouraged and be hopeful, right, if you're here.
And, and, and if you're like, man, I, I want that, where do I start? Because I, I think I'm a figless Fig Newton. You start where Jesus said. He said, unless you all repent. This is the same thing John the Baptist said. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Right? The, the starting place is to repent, which just means to turn. This is where I'm going. I turn around. I do a 180, and I turn, and I, and I go in the direction of Christ. I turn from my sin. I put my faith in Christ. That is fruit. And, and the heart of a Christian is not, that, it's not that Christians don't sin. They do. But they don't like it. That their sin is, is, oh, I did that again. I talked back to my mom. I was impatient with my, with my spouse. The lustful glance, it was greed, whatever it was, that it bothers us because we were turning from. That's the starting place. And then if that's the starting place, after that, when we, when we put our faith in Christ and he forgives us, what does he do? He puts his Holy Spirit. And so the, the, really the way to bear fruit, you want the, the key way to bear fruit is to, is to cultivate your relationship with the Spirit of God who dwells in you, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He is the fruit giver. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not, okay, now I'm a Christian. I try real hard. I try real hard. I try real hard. It is, it is not you, God showing up with a clipboard saying, okay, what you got for me today, Fowler? It's not it. It is God being the patient gardener and through you and with you bearing fruit. It is him. Christians are not try hard, try hard, try hard. They live a supernatural life, not of their own power, of the power of the Holy Spirit, of God working with us and through us and in us. It is all him and we get to enjoy it. And that's what he wants to do. So you want to you bear fruit, then get to know and get to love the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I do it? Paul says, sow to the Spirit. You sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap from the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? Well, there's the, there's the, the things we know. We spend time with God, right? We, we celebrate. I mean, one of the things we do in this morning, this is sowing to the Spirit. When you sing and worship, it's a, it's a sowing to, your spirit, to the Spirit of God. When you take some time out of your day and just praise God and worship, go on a prayer walk, look, at, look outside, whether, maybe you got to actually see the, the eclipse and you were like, man, God, that was amazing. I mean, you said, we sang it, that you, you put the sun and you put the moon and you put them together. That was cool. And, and that's, that's sowing the spirit. Worship, confession of sin, reading scripture, praying scripture, memorizing scripture. These are all sowing to the Spirit, and you will bear fruit from the Spirit. That's not it. One of the things I think we don't do very well in the church is self-evaluation. This is a way to, to, to see fruit, is to evaluate yourself. Some of you are like, I need to go on a diet. How do you know? Because you get on a scale, and it's in the twos, the high twos. It used to be in the low ones. And so you've evaluated and said, okay, I need to go this way. We do it with physical. Look back at our lives. Okay, here's where I was 10 years ago. Here's where I am now. And don't count busyness, because busyness is not necessarily fruitfulness. Everyone can be busy. We're busy. Trust me. Four kids all over the place. We're busy. We got to ask, am I fruitful? That's why, again, we always say, don't do a thousand things lousily. Just do one thing well. Right? And, and evaluate. Okay, this, this was good. This is a good, good, good harvest this year. All right? Let's see what's next year. Maybe you could focus on just... Maybe for a year, maybe for a month, on one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all this, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe you're going to say, okay, self-control, that's, that's an issue I want to work on this month. And so you start praying about self-control. You start reading about self-control. Maybe you read a good book uh, uh, on those things so that when 
there's that opportunity now and you hear those, those ladies over here talking and you're like, oh, I got something to add to that. The Spirit of God says, do you now? And you're like, nope, because I've been talking about self-control. I'm going to text back. How many times have you like texted and you read it and you're like, would that be good? Some of you, boop, hit it anyway. You're like, oops. But how many times have you deleted it? Like, that's not going to add anything good to this conversation. Self-control. Maybe patience is your gig, right? And so you just need to, you know, you could probably spend all of our time on patience. You need to be praying about that. If you're thinking about that, you're like, man, I want to I I be more patient with myself. I want to be a more patient driver, right? We have, we have driving issues in our family with patience. Even our kids are picking up. Like last year, there's a lady there. Somebody pulled out in front of either me or my wife. I won't tell you who. And it was like, are you kidding me? And there was a big scad sticker. And, and, and the youngest said, it's okay. They're just a scad driver, right? So I don't know where they learned that. But so if, if patience is your gig, you can start praying about that. You can start working on that so you see fruit. So that when you usually would be like, you're like, not going to honk. Not going to lash out. Whatever it is. But just start, just, if you're doing nothing, you're going to bear no fruit. That's the point. If there's no manure thrown on, if you're not digging around, there's going to be no fruit. And so, so let's, let's trust that the Spirit wants to use us and bear fruit in us because He says He does, right? And here's a big one too, last thing, is, is a way to bear fruit and see fruit in your life is surround yourself with encouragers because you got people in the church that are spiritual roundup and you got people in the church that are spiritual miracle grow, right? There's the, there's the roundup, kill the weed, kill the fruit, kill everything in the way. And then there's the miracle grow. Which one are you, by the way? Because you want to be with the miracle grow people. You want to stay away from spiritual roundup. Because that will dry you out. And will bear no fruit. That's going to kill you. Always complaining, always talking about, always this, always that, oh, it's so bad. This is what you want, right? That's why community is so important and being around other people that are going to encourage you up. Just, just some practical things. But we want to be a fruit-bearing group of folks, right? That's what we want. That's what Jesus says. And it comes from turning from our sin, believing in him, and then let the spirit move in us. And, and it's getting that cloud out of the way of Christian karma. One more quick thing, right? He continues, verse 10. Oh, I just flipped the wrong page. Verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Underline that. It's a big, big point. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So you have this lady. He's in the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, he's in a synagogue, a local synagogue, which is kind of like a local church in these, one of these towns. And there's a woman. For 18 years, she's had a disability. And remember, Dr. Luke is their author, and so he's real excited about kind of like the medical side. So he's like, she, he's giving his diagnosis. She had a chronicle this and blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't something a chiropractor could fix. This was not a doctor issue. This was a spiritual issue, actually. It was a demonic issue that had this lady... For 18 years, she couldn't look anybody in the eyes. Can you imagine? She's bent over for 18 years. You can imagine the, the, the deformity of her spine. You can imagine the pain. She can't move. That's how she has lived her life, right? And it's demonic. And so Jesus sees her, and he calls her over. And he says, 
Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he lays his hands on her, and immediately she is made straight. And can you imagine for the first, there's a woman who hasn't danced, who hasn't run, who hasn't hugged anybody for 18 years, and she, Jesus, just lovingly, he says, come over here, and she slowly kind of works her way over, and he puts his hands on her, and she stands up. Maybe for the first time she can see the sun. Can you imagine? Can you imagine her joy? She's probably jumping around. She's laughing. There's probably tears. She's skipping. Does a couple of jumping jacks. Does a couple of burpees. Right? And everyone's so happy, right? Wrong. But the ruler of the synagogue was indignant. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine? She's been coming to this church for 18 years. He knows this woman. He's seen her every week. You would think he would have been praying for this woman. You would think that the person he was praying for for 18 years and she can finally stand up, that he would be like, that was pretty awesome, I got to admit. And he's mad that Jesus healed somebody on a Saturday. And so what does he do? He yells at everybody. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days. Come on Mondays if you want to be healed. Don't come on the Sabbath. This is holy day. Don't want to have fun today. Don't want to enjoy today. Don't laugh today. Not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus doesn't get mad often in the Gospels, but he is mad here. And it is firm in the text. And he says, you hypocrites. And it's y'all too. It's not just one guy. You think he's talking to one. There's obviously more that agree with this guy. Y'all hypocrites. Right? It's ridiculous. You, you, you untie your ox or donkey from the manger and you lead water on a Sabbath. You'll get your pet out and you'll take it. And they had all rules for how they could do. They could, couldn't make the donkey carry water, but they could walk it. And all these dumb things. He says, you, do, you take care of your animals on the Sabbath. Ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, made in the image of God, an Israelite, one of the God's chosen people, who Satan has bound for 18 years. Isn't it fitting that she be loosed on this day? Of all days, the Sabbath, the day of rest? The day, of, the day it's supposed to be joyful. Isn't it, wasn't it the most fitting day? You hypocrites. Right? And here's the second cloud. I mean, that's a cloud, right? Second cloud is a cloud of religion. It's related to the first cloud. This text is really all about the same thing. It's directed at the same group of people. It's people who think that they can be good and do something to make God like me. And all religions of man, all man-made religion is our attempt to reach God and make him happy. And it's really not about him, it's about us. And what religion does is it blinds you. It makes you miss the point. It's the guy who's outside, he's got his glasses on, he's got his Krispy Kreme, he's got his little box, he's ready, but all he does is look at his phone. Isn't the eclipse beautiful? Isn't it great? Eclipse is up there. Wow, this person really, that was Photoshopped, but that's pretty. He misses the whole point. This guy misses the point. He misses the point of the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath supposed to be for? Sabbath is for man to enjoy to refuel, to trust that God will provide, to enjoy his buddies and hang out and worship and just sleep and take a nap and watch golf. That is what the Sabbath is for. Not so you can make a bunch of rules and make everyone miserable. 
And that's what they had done. They missed the point. He misses the point of his job. What is his job as the pastor of the synagogue? To point people to God, to have them worship God, to see the joy in God. That's what they're doing. They're rejoicing in God and he gets mad. Everyone's glorifying God and he's mad about it. Isn't that ironic? The preacher is mad. People are joyful in Jesus. He's missing it. He's blind. There's a cloud, right? He misses it all. And that's what, that's what the gospel, that's what religion versus the gospel is. Man-made versus Jesus-made. It just, man-made makes you critical. Gives you a critical spirit. Makes you a critical demeanor. You're not there to worship. Let me tell you, look, we have a lot of things we could do better at this church. But when you come through the door, it is not your job to identify all the brokenness. It's not hard. I can give you a list if you want it. Your job is simply to worship the king, the creator. That's why you come. I mean, you can evaluate the sermon if you want, but I can tell you there's going to be junky sermons and average sermons. But that's not the point. The point is you are here to worship Jesus. That's the point. That's why we gather. Right? And, 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 that's, and, and that's what these people, they're worshiping. There's joy. They're celebrating. That is why we're here. Religious people have no compassion. They're probably thinking that it's her fault she's been over for 18 years. It's, yeah, she just was a wicked person. Jesus touches her, brings her over, even though she's got a demon somehow oppressing her. She's a daughter of Abraham. Religious people pretend that everything's great when it's not. They put on a mask. In fact, the word hypocrites that he uses is, is a word for play actor. They play act. They pretend everything is good. They act like all is well, that they are so great. Right? They, they're like the guy we'll see in a couple weeks that says, stands there and prays, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I tithe twice a week. I wear nice clothes to church. I don't do what he does. And why are you here, by the way, at church? Where followers of Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, and they were, they'll be whiter than snow. See, the difference between man-made religion and Christ, the gospel. Religion is a cloud that'll keep you thinking, have I done enough? Can I do enough? Can I get to God? Jesus says, no, I've done it all. Look, if you, if you could be good enough, then why is Jesus headed to Jerusalem to die? He could have just said, come down, be nice, pray. And he could have skipped the cross. But we couldn't because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So what he does next is he, he tells a parable that he told before about how the kingdom is starts small and inconspicuous and it grows, and, and you can read that. But then he closes with this, and this is the solution, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying where? Towards Jerusalem, because that's where he is going to die. And someone says, Lord, will those who are saved be few? This is, this is a very religious question. How many people get to go to heaven? And Jesus doesn't answer him. What he says is this, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Go through the narrow door. And Matthew, he says, Matthew says, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Enter the narrow gate. The narrow gate, the narrow door. What is this narrow gate? What is this narrow door? Jesus tells us, I am the door. Anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in. He says in John 15, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, excuse me. And this is a very narrow view, y'all. I get it. And this is not popular in the world that Jesus is exclusive and says, I am the narrow door. Come through the narrow door. 
I mean, even Oprah is offended. She says that one of the biggest mistakes people make is, is saying that there is one way to heaven. Right? Jesus says I'm one way. So if he's not right, then he's wrong, then he's not God, then he's not a way. Right? He says, come through me. Don't come through man-made religion. Don't come through other things. Come through me. Right? Because once the master of the house is risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock and say, Lord, open to us. He will say, I don't know where you come from. You say, oh, wait, you know us. We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. You hung out with us. I, you know, I went to your church. I was in BSF with you. We were in community group. I served. I tithed, remember? So I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. Depart from me. Right? You, you workers of evil in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where you'll, you'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you are going to not be in the kingdom. But I knew you. Now, you knew about me. I got to meet Daryl Strawberry the other night. It was fun. We, got to, we, got, we both smashed the Braves together. It was awesome. Right? And we talked baseball. And he was a really good dude hearing his story. But let me tell you, I got some pictures with him. I think I got, I don't think I got an autograph. But a lot of people got an autograph. I hung out with him for 20 minutes, shook his hand, gave him a hug, climbed on his shoulder, all these things. I don't got a relationship with Daryl Strawberry. I don't have him on my phone. I'm not like, call Daryl. Daryl, what up? I met him. I know all about him. I have his rookie baseball card. I can tell you all, all about him. One of the greatest left-handed home run hitters of all time. Phenomenal. Six foot six. But I don't have a relationship with him. He don't call me when I go down to, when you go to Orlando and say, hey, let's go hang out. See, some of us know all about Daryl Strawberry. We don't have a relationship. Some of us all know all about Jesus, but they don't really know Jesus. And he's saying, you've got to know. You've got to come through me. Put your faith in me. That's the point. And that's his heart. He says, everyone, there's going to be people from the east and west and north and south, and they're going to all come to the kingdom. Some who are last will be first. Some who first will be last. He doesn't really answer this guy's question, how many are in? He says, it doesn't matter how many. He says, they're coming from all over. But Israel's missing it because they got the cloud of religion and they got the cloud of of self-righteousness. Don't you miss it. Unbelievable event. That, that is prophesied and promised. And he says, don't let the clouds of religion and self-promotion and pride keep you from this. Don't be a figless Fig Newton. Don't be the critical, come to evaluate everybody, but never worship at the feet of Jesus. Don't miss this glorious, beautiful thing that he is offering to every single person. You can just grasp in simple faith. I believe that Christ is my savior. I needed him. He died as my substitute for my sins and rose again. He's done it all, right? Don't miss. That's the, and the heart of this passage is that, that you wouldn't miss it. And he closes, he's, he says as he's walking to Jerusalem, as he's judging Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Listen to the compassion of Jesus. How I would often would just gather you in. I just want to bring you in like a mother hen. But you just won't come. So blind. That's the heart of Jesus towards his people. That's the heart of him towards you today. Don't run like a little rebellious chick. Let him gather you into his arms and love you and give you eternal life so that you can dine with him and celebrate with him and rejoice with him and be with him forever and ever. And if you've got questions about that, man, we'll talk. We'd love to talk. Fill a connect card. Grab me after the service. Don't want you to miss if I, if I would have known on Monday that it would have been cloudy, we would have gotten in the car and gone up to Walterboro or something so we could see it. 
right? I want us to see the beautiful gospel that Jesus has promised. Let me pray and we'll sing. You guys stand with me. Father, I thank you for the words of Christ, our Savior, who loves us, who cares for us and wants us to see. I pray that we'd be a church of not figless Vic Newtons, but of fruit-bearing believers, filled with love, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That is a work your spirit must do, so I just pray that he would do it, so that Jesus is honored. It's in his name we pray.